I've asked you to open up to uh, Acts 9, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 26 to 31 this morning as we continue in this chapter. Fascinating chapter as we look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul, then Saul of Tarsus at the time of his conversion, just seeing how it, it fits in with other areas of scripture, things that he wrote in his letters uh, later on in the book of Acts, him giving testimony to this, uh, this, this incredible event. And, and so we're, we're going to continue on this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version, verses 9, or excuse me, verses 26 through 31 out of chapter 9. And uh, as, as you know, we do this in honor of God's word standing together. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and, and sent him out to Tarsus. Of course, that's where uh, Saul was from, Tarsus and Cilicia. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Through this, through this passage, as we look at your continued work in the early church, your continued work in the life of Saul of Tarsus, who, of course, we know, became the Apostle Paul. Lord, pour out your Spirit upon us. Might he magnify the name of Jesus in our hearts? Might he teach us? Might he lead us into your truth? Might he give us the understanding that we need to have in order to not just simply know what took place and why it took place, but also to know how these things apply to our own hearts today, our own lives as we live them before you here in the 21st century in Southern California. We praise you. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we've been going through this uh, ninth chapter to this point, uh, we had seen, of course, in the first several verses of the chapter, Saul of Tarsus meeting the Lord Jesus Christ as he was headed to Damascus to persecute the church, to persecute these followers of what, what had become uh, known as the way, uh, following after Jesus Christ, honoring him and worshiping him, proclaiming him to be the Jewish Messiah. We then, of course, saw him... Uh, ministered to by Ananias there in Damascus. Uh, he was healed of his blindness. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And then we saw him preaching last week uh, in verses 20 uh, through verse 25 as we uh, looked at that, at, at that passage, preaching in Damascus. And, you know, the uh, trouble that he began to have, you know, um, from the point of his conversion and here in Damascus as he began to preach Jesus, he was persecuted severely. And we can see that him writing about that persecution in a, a few places, most notably in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as he uh, highlights the ways and how many times he was, he was persecuted in the name of the Lord Jesus. But here we see just the beginning. And, and you'll recall that as we were looking at verses 20 to 25, uh, we, 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 we saw that somewhere in there, and probably between verses 21 and 22, there is a, a break. We don't see it here as we read Acts chapter 9, but as we read other passages of Scripture, uh, in particular uh, Galatians chapter 1, Paul writing in his letter to the Galatians, uh, he writes of this three-year hiatus that he took I say hi hiatus, uh, uh, last week I called it a sabbatical, that as he left from Damascus, went to Arabia, returned to Damascus, and then from Damascus went to Jerusalem, as we're going to see here in the beginning of this passage, or in this passage today, went to Jerusalem, and that was three years later. He tells the Galatians, three years later I went to Jerusalem. And, and in fact, we, we, we see that, uh, in, in these passages that we're looking at, uh, again, Galatians in particular. And in fact, Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, read this way. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And so this three-year period of time, maybe not quite three years, it could have been two years and six months, two years and nine months. We're, we're not quite sure how long he was in Damascus for the second time before he went to Jerusalem, as we read in verse 26. So, but, but there was some time there. So something short of three years, he was, he was in Arabia. Uh, and in that first chapter of Galatians, again in verses 11 and 12, Paul had already written to the Galatians, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which, I, which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Saul of Tarsus is one of the few human beings in human history who was converted through a one-on-one -on -one visual uh, appearance of Jesus Christ before him. Doesn't happen all that often. Happen to anybody here, by the way? No. I, we, we were witnessed to by people, right? And, and the Holy Spirit ministered to us, spoke to our hearts, the Lord ministering through the Holy Spirit to our hearts and so forth, we came to Christ. But obviously, Saul of Tarsus had a very unique experience. Um, 
And it was something that was a part of God's plan for him because of what he wanted to do in and through Saul of Tarsus. Also, the kind of guy that he was. I mean, he was intensely, intensely opposed to Jesus Christ. Now, we find people around us in our own culture, um, maybe in an everyday life, maybe, maybe some of you guys work with people who are intensely opposed to Jesus Christ. I don't, as you might guess. But some of you may. You know, the, these who are driven by the spirit of the Antichrist, that's, that, that Antichrist spirit, which the Apostle John writes in 1 John, has already existed, was there in the world at that time. So that spirit has been with us in this world for 2,000 years. So it's nothing new, but we do sense that he seems to be more and more active, at least in our own culture. Now, one thing we can't forget as Christians, and as American Christians, we can do this. We can, we can kind of, we can kind of believe that you know the church is centered here in America. No, no. Obviously, the church has been very active within the history of our nation, right? But sadly, we're seeing that influence of the church becoming less and less and less and less and less. But very active in other parts of the world. Much more active than here. You know, so, so we, we see those things with the spirit of Antichrist. Well, getting back to this, we, we see that Paul had been, Saul of Tarsus, had been away from Jerusalem for three years. And then, and then we, as we pick up there in verse 26 again, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple, even after three years. But you know, it, it, it causes us to wonder, what was going on in Jerusalem during that three-year period? We have no understanding of that, not through the scriptures. We don't see anything. All we know is that Saul of Tarsus, as a Pharisee, as the leading persecutor of the church, of the way, at that time, detaining individuals who were claiming that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, he would have them arrested. He would see to their execution, as with Stephen in the seventh chapter of Acts. He was headed for Damascus to detain, to, 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 to take those individuals who had left Jerusalem because of the persecution to bring them back. The chief priests had signed the extradition papers and everything, all set to go, and then he just didn't show up. How did the chief priests find out about what was going on? likely from the, 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 the group of soldiers that went with Saul of Tarsus to Damascus to detain all these individuals. He probably heard from them. Did he give the chief priest a message through them? What was that message? He's like, I've, I've, I've found a better faith. 
I found the Messiah. Guess what? He really is the Messiah. We, we don't know. We, we don't know. Anything that we might say would be um, surmising and just simply guessing at this particular point in time. But you got to wonder what was going on. And, and what about these soldiers? They had to have been impacted by what they encountered. Obviously not as intensely as Saul, but they saw the light. Did they know what the light was? They didn't see Jesus. They didn't hear what he said. They heard a voice. Some of them not even knowing that it was a voice, most likely. But something happened. They saw what happened. They're, they're the ones that led him by hand into Damascus from that spot on that road to Damascus, between Jerusalem and Damascus. You know, we, we just don't know what went on. It's just kind of caused us to wonder, to wonder what was going on. Then he comes back to Damascus. He's preaching the name of Jesus. He is threatened. They wanted to kill him. The Hellenists attempted to kill him even as they had killed um, Stephen in chapter, at the end of chapter 7. And, and it's interesting here, even as we see that taking place and as Saul goes to Jerusalem, you know, he, has to, he has to get out of Jerusalem also. You know, so he became... Well, Saul of Tarsus was like Stephen too. You know, like tied and then tied to, because tied to is supposed to be better. I mean, I'm sorry, that didn't work well. Um, <laughs> to the Jews, he was like Stephen, but just far more effective, far more effective than, than Stephen was in his ministry, which was very, very effective. And, and you know, that incident as well. Saul standing there holding the cloaks of those who are casting stones upon Stephen, killing him, murdering him, executing him. Um, the impact that must have had on him when he watched Stephen with that angelic look, looking up into heaven and saying, look, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You know, that had to haunt him. Had to haunt him. Well, he makes it to Jerusalem three years later. And the disciples there didn't trust him. Can't blame them really, right? Even though it had been three years. I mean, were they thinking that, well, this is just a way for, for him to get into our lives so that he can persecute us. Um, he, he's, he's got to be, I mean, how could he change? He was so vehement. He was so, um, so, so into this thing of getting after the church and persecuting the church. I mean, how could he have changed that much? But he did, we know. They didn't, and they didn't trust him. They were afraid of him. Not only was it a lack of trust, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he was truly a disciple. You know these passages that we read in the Bible that uh, one of my favorites is out of e e Ephesians chapter 2, when verse 4 in Ephesians 2 begins with the words, but God, 
Here we see but Barnabas, sent by God, right? So it's really but God. But God had Barnabas there. God had Barnabas there. He was there to do exactly what we see here in verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And then verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. The work of Barnabas, the ministry of Barnabas, incredibly, incredibly important. You know, as Saul had attempted to join the disciples caused me to think, I don't think just simply because I'm a pastor, but it caused me to think and to wonder about, you know, I wonder how many people here have attended a church for the first time and just didn't feel welcome. Didn't feel like you fit in. Didn't feel like you would be accepted. And, and it's unfortunate that that does happen in churches. It does happen in churches. You know, and obviously this is for a different reason. The, the reason that that happens in the church, I believe, is much more tragic than this. I think these disciples had some good reason to fear Saul of Tarsus and good reason to not accept him, not believe him. Now, when people come to the church, you know, they, they say, they may tell us they've been walking with the Lord for 10 years or whatever, and it's not that we don't believe them, but the problem is we're not as welcoming as we should be at times. And we can form our little cliques within the church our own group of people that we hang with, that we fellowship with. They're the ones that are, that are in our small group. They're the ones that we have dinner with. They're the ones that we, we do things with. And, you know, it can just be hard to get in there, you know. And, and this is a situation that happens in every area of society in the sense of groups of people hanging together, being friends, and others, like, like at, at school, junior high, high school, for example, you know, the cliques of the super soch people. Is that word soch still used? Um, no? No? I'm showing my age, aren't I? You know, but of the, of the higher echelon of the society within the culture at that school. You know, in high school, it would be the cheerleaders and the athletes, right? football players in particular. Um, you know, you guys know what I'm saying. Just trying to get in there can be kind of difficult. And it's just sad that that happens in the church. It can, get hard, it can be hard to get into fellowship with people at church. If all of us were a Barnabas, hey, that rhymed, didn't it? We should make a song out of that. If we had that heart of Barnabas, the, the gift of Barnabas, and by the way, we do because we have the Holy Spirit. You know, we are to be given to hospitality. We are to be a welcoming culture. 
no such things as little groups that no one else is welcome in. Now, obviously, there's a reality that there's going to be certain people that you're closer to than others, but all are welcome, right? It can cause people to think that all are not welcome into the church, period, if that happens. I remember the first church that uh, Jeanette and I went to after we had been witnessed to by her very best friend, uh, Kathy, who um, shared with us about going to this church and and what uh, attracted her attention was that Kathy told her, and she didn't know, she said, did you know that Mary was pregnant with Jesus before she was married to Joseph? Well, that was her situation. She was pregnant with our first daughter, Tracy, before we got married. And Kathy knew that, and so that got her attention. We went to this church called West Covina, West Covina Church of Christ, just down the street from Calvary Chapel, West Covina at the time, with Pastor Raul Reese when he was there at the store, at the grocery store there, shopping, hanging out. Anyway, um, yeah, and our first time there, we, we went to the church, we went to the first service, the service, and after the service, they had the Sunday school classes, and we went to the young adults, Sunday school, or young, young married ad adults class, and we just kind of got the cold shoulder. And my honey didn't want to go back. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was the Lord prodding me. You know, let's, let's go back. Let's give it another try. Let's give it another try. The second week we went back, it was great. I don't know if they were testing us. I don't know if it was simply the Lord testing us. I don't know if, if it was the enemy wanting us not to get involved. Maybe all of the above, I don't know. But we went that second time, and, and we felt welcome. We felt welcome. But Barnabas' ministry, so very, very important. And there are two sides of that issue of, of, not, of, of new people within a church coming to a church and not feeling welcome. One, shame on the church for not making them feel welcome. And secondly, those who come ought not to take that personally. Ought not to take that personally. I've, I've had, uh, uh, I remember uh, on one occasion, I, I got somebody upset with me because I walked by them and I didn't acknowledge them in the hallway. And, of course, that person didn't know that I was in very, very deep thought about having just heard about a death in the church that took place, and I was getting ready to preach. You know, and so it's like, should I have noticed that person and gre greeted them? Probably, but I was just walking with my head down and just sorrowing at the same time praying that the Lord would anoint me for the service that I was about to render to him, you know? And, and so part of it is we don't know what's going on with the other person. Here in this situation, everybody knew what was going on. Barnabas knew. He stepped in. But these believers were afraid. They were afraid. 
there is some merit to having your guard up at least to a degree with other people because of the reality of Jeremiah 17, 9, which says, the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. It teaches us that we can't trust everybody. I think the most important thing we learn from that verse is that we can't trust ourselves. I can't trust myself. That's what I need to learn from that. But it's true of everybody. In fact, in John 2, 21 and 22, John writes that Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He knew the heart of men, so he had three of his apostles, Peter, James, and John, within his inner circle, right? Even the other eight apostles, or the other nine apostles, he did not really give himself to fully because he knew what was in their hearts. Matthew 12, 33 says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. So we, we do need to be fruit inspectors, as J. Vernon McGee would say. That's where the rubber meets the road. Fruit inspectors. But we still have to trust the Lord and His work in people as well. None of us yet are where we are going to be at some point in our walk with the Lord as we continue to get closer and closer to Him and more and more like Him, right? We may have come a long way from where we were, but we're not there yet. And there are a lot of passages we can pull out. We just don't have time to, to do that this morning, but we, we need to be aware, and, and we need to be aware also that true change comes when we truly see Jesus for who he truly is. I change when I see Jesus in truth. And when I see him in truth, I worship him, I bow before him, and he works in my heart. Saul had, had that change begin in his heart. He had this three-year period with, with the Lord uh, between, between, his, uh, between leaving Jerusalem to go to Damascus and then coming back here. But the people didn't see it. They didn't know. But the son of encouragement came, Barnabas. That's what the name Barnabas means. You know, when we first met Barnabas, back in the fourth chapter, verses 36 and 37, which says, and Joses, that's what it says in the New King James Version, other versions say Joseph, We'll say Joseph. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's where we first met him. You know, and the Holy Spirit saw fit to, to write that, to, to have Luke write that, as our introduction to Barnabas, one who was contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira in that chapter. Contrasted with them. This was a true believer. He, he gave this land out of his heart. 
It wasn't something that he wanted to use for any kind of fame or, or any kind of reputation or any gain of any of, at all. He gave that land for the purpose for which the apostles wanted to use it to distribute to the poor, those who had need. And he was known already as the son of encouragement. The apostles named him that. He had been living a life for some time in which he was always coming to somebody else and just encouraging them, lifting them up. Perhaps being an arbitrator between two opposing people within the church. Perhaps. We don't know exactly how that all worked, but we do know that the apostles saw something in him as he ministered to people and named him the son of encouragement. Isn't that cool? He's the one that God used to bridge the, the gap between the church in Jerusalem and Saul of Tarsus, when Saul truly became born again. We need people like that in the church. And we wonder if Saul of Tarsus ever would have become the Apostle Paul without Barnabas coming to his side to represent him, to speak for him. He lived as his name truly was, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. F.F. Bruce wrote this, When Saul desperately needed a true friend in Damascus, Ananias played that part to him. And when he stood in equal need of one in Jerusalem, he found a friend in Barnabas. Oh, how we need friends like this, huh? Oh, we need friends like this. Ananias, we spoke about him being kind of an obscure individual. We never heard of him before. We never see him again after that encounter with Saul of Tarsus. Barnabas, not so. We're going to see him continually through the book of Acts. But our need for friends. You know, I can't help being a child of the 60s I can't help but think of a, of a song. You guys know what I'm talking about, huh? You've Got a Friend, written by Carol King and, and made popular by James Taylor. You know, um, let, me, let me read some of the words to that song. People can be so cold. They'll hurt you and desert you. I wish I could sing it like James Taylor did. I would, but I can't, so I won't. Well... Well, they'll take your soul if you let them. Oh, yeah, but don't you let them. You just call out my name. And you know, wherever I am, it touches my heart. I'll come running to see you again. Oh, babe, don't you know that winter, spring, summer, or fall? Hey, now, all you got to do is call. Lord, I'll be there. Yes, I will. You've got a friend. You've got a friend. Now, we all need friends like this. We all need friends like this. And because we do, I just want to share this with you and encourage you in this. Be that friend to someone else. Be that friend. In healthy relationships, 
it's something that is reciprocal, isn't it? Two friends together who would do anything for each other. Let me know I'm here. You know, we can see often or hear often the words, I'm here for you. Some people prove that to be true and some don't, you know. That's just reality. But oh, we need those friends. So the work of Barnabas, his heart, son of encouragement, how we need Barnabases within the church. And somebody around you needs you to be a Barnabas for them. Let's be willing to be that person. Well, because Barnabas was who he was, the way that he ministered, his heart, being that son of encouragement, and having an influence, a position, and a certain popularity among the church, his ministry was fruitful. We see there in verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. Now, Luke had said that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Now, if you just read that, it seems like the apostles were gathered together somewhere and, and Barnabas arranged a meeting with all of the apostles and he brought Paul or Saul in to meet them and he was going to vouch for him, right? Well, it didn't happen that way because as we already read, and I want to read, continue from Galatians 1, 18 and 19 we read. I want to continue reading through verse 24. I'll start with 18 again. Paul wrote to the Galatians, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, which we are going to see here in this ninth chapter. And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So he went from persecutor to preacher. But we see here, that Paul says he didn't meet with all the apostles. He met with Peter, and he saw James. He remained with Peter for 15 days. Peter was the one who was regarded as the, the, the chief apostle, right? And he wasn't, and, and, and Saul was doing nothing more and nothing less than letting Peter know what had happened to him his meeting with Jesus on that road to Damascus, that two-and-a-half-plus-year period of time in Arabia as he, with the Lord, is just searching through those scriptures and came to a place where he became a very good apologist, a great apologist, going through the Old Testament scriptures, proving that Jesus is the Christ. And yet he was... He was called as an apostle to the Gentiles. But that does show us how 
badly we need to have a good handle on the Old Testament, on those prophetic, those, those prophetic messianic uh, prophecies. It's a good thing to have, a good thing to be able to say that God gave to the prophet Isaiah 700 plus years before Jesus was even born these, past, these words. You know, those kinds of things. Uh, David, a thousand years before Jesus came, uh, writing in, in Psalm 22 and in various places. I mean, it's, it's good to have that. But we see, we see Saul taking that time personally taught by Jesus. His message, the mystery of the gospel given to him personally by Jesus Christ. And that's his point. That's what he wanted to make sure Pe uh, Peter knew. And I have the feeling that if Peter would have said, well, no, you, you haven't been sanctioned by the board. Right? He would have gone off and done his, done his work. He wasn't asking for permission. He wasn't asking for them to lay his hands, their hands on him. Jesus already had done that. He was just telling them what, what had happened and what was, how he was responding. That's all that was about. And so with that, he was going, he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out there in verse 28. And then verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Again, he just kind of picked up where Stephen left off some years earlier, three plus years earlier. The Hellenists did not like what he was saying. And so they, they attempted to kill him. But you know, it, it's interesting. You, you kind of wonder, you know, if Paul didn't have Barnabas, what would have happened? What would he have done? Him being the man that he was. I would assume that that really didn't matter to him. You know, he wanted to be accepted by the church, but if he hadn't, would that have kept him from going to the Gentiles? No. It would not have hindered him. We, we, we see that also in the book of Galatians. In fact, I didn't make this note. I need to turn there. Turn in your Bible with me over to Galatians 1. And just before, I mean, this first chapter of Galatians is so powerful. Beginning in verse 8, in Galatians chapter 1, it's not going to be on your screen, but it reads this way, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, the Greek word anathema, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul is very clearly saying, I'm not your servant, I'm Christ's servant. Yet we are called to serve one another. But what he's saying is in terms of the gospel, I look to Jesus and him alone. 
I'm not saying these things to make you happy. I'm not saying these things to just tell you what you want to hear. I'm saying these things because this is what Christ gave me to say. That's what he's saying. And if anybody comes along with a different gospel, anathema, might they be accursed? Might they spend a lifetime apart from the presence of God? That's heavy. That's heavy. But we love that about the Apostle Paul, don't we? We love that about him. The boldness. So even as Saul of Tarsus was wired that way, that's why he was so vehement and so aggressive against the church, still at the same time we see this encouragement gave him the confidence and the freedom to do what he was doing, disputing uh, with, the, with the Grecians, with the Hellenists. Um, and and let, let's note that when we speak truth, it breeds disputes, especially in a culture in which there is no truth. You know, um, that, that's what happens. Have you guys noticed that in your life? When you speak the gospel to loved ones, to friends who don't yet know, know the Lord, maybe immediately after you got saved. I remember when, when Jeanette and I got saved, we, we, we shared with her mom and dad, with mom and pops, and it got to a point, after a couple of years, they, they didn't want us around. You know, and, and our relationship really was estranged. It really was. Um, we would see each other only on holidays for several years, for several years. Nine years after we got saved, they got saved. Praise God for that, you know. And so, you know, today we're going to have this memorial service for Pops as a life celebration and a celebration of his homecoming in, 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 into the Lord's presence, you know, um, because he has bowed his knee to Jesus. But it can be rough with family. It can be rough with, with loved ones who don't know the Lord. You know, um, in Matthew 10, 34 to 36, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, we stop there and say, well, isn't, that what the, isn't that what the angels cried out? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? Well, let's listen to the context. Don't think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Because of the gospel. And I know there are some in this room who've experienced that. And we did for a while with, with, with Jeanette's parents. They finally came to the Lord. You know, and I, I think a part of that too speaks to this, you know. Um, and, and this is the case with, the, with many of you, with many of you. But when, when those who don't believe, don't want to hear, 
primarily because they're living a lifestyle that they don't want to change. But after a period of time, they witness our faithfulness. They witness that we truly are living as if we believe what we're telling them. They witness that for a while. The Holy Spirit works in us and through us. And, and as a witness, we, we, we do more witnessing by just simply living our lives for Jesus than by telling them anything about him. Now, they go hand in hand, of course, but by living our lives for him, then they begin asking questions, and then we need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us as we're living that holy life. And so I, I think that's what took place, and finally they came to the Lord. But, you know, th this is a very, very common thing, a very common thing. Back in um, 1988, uh, with Calvary Chapel of Ontario at the time, which is now, of course, Chino Valley with Pastor David Rosales, uh, we, we went on a missions trip to Scotland, and one of the young women there in the church, uh, out of a Catholic family, uh, it basically was disowned by her father by leaving the Catholic Church. You know, they were going through this thing, and then one day she found all her stuff in the front yard of her house. You know, and enemies becoming enemies. But you know, the root of the problem, obviously, we know it's spiritual. Even as Jesus spoke in John chapter 15, Verses 18 to 21, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Guys, let's not expect to be appreciated by people who don't know Jesus. We can't expect it. And if it's a goal that we have, we will find ourselves living in misery because we'll be living a life of compromise on the fence. That's miserable. State what you believe. Live what you believe. Pray with the, for those who don't yet believe until they do believe. That's what we've got to do. We've got to see that a relationship with, this, with them changes. They're of the world, we were of the world. We were pulled out of the world, not of the world anymore, of the kingdom of God. They're still of the world. We're in it with them, but not of it. Now, they're a ministry. Not so much a friend or, or a family member as a ministry. And the Lord wants to use us as a tool in his hand to draw them to Jesus. Going on there in that passage in John 15, verse 20, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. That's the root issue right there. Not knowing God. Then there were more threats on his life. Of course, they wanted to kill him there at the end of verse 28. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, sent him out 
Caiaphas, Tarsus. So they sent him home to Tarsus. Um, Paul, in Acts 22, in his testimony before the Jewish mob there in Jerusalem, in Acts 22, verses 17 to 21, said this, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, now there's a little more insight into what actually happened in Jerusalem here, that I was in a trance, so as he was praying, he had a vision. Saw him saying to me, speaking of Jesus, of course, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Basically what he's saying they know who I was, and if they see who I am now, how effective is that going to be for them, right? Like, we know a better way, Jesus, to do this witnessing thing. We know how to change lives. Don't tell us what to do. You know, you know what I mean? And then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So... He departed. He left and he, he was sent to Tarsus, which is Cilicia, and he began to minister there. And we're going to see a little bit later on in the 13th chapter that Barnabas is going to go to Tarsus to bring him to Antioch to minister there. And it's from Antioch uh, uh, that they actually um, leave to, for, for their um, uh, first missions ministry. Then verse 31, we're going to close obviously with this last verse. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, it's interesting that Saul leaves and then there's peace. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's what happened, right? I mean, Saul left and everything quieted down. And, and, and so the prophetic voice was not heard by one individual person, but still the church multiplied because, look what happened. They were edified. They were being built up in the word, walking in the fear of the Lord. That's who they feared, God himself, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the book of Acts, of course, we see the history of the first years of the church, and the church just exploded. We know that in the book of Acts. And, and we've seen different times through history when revivals broke out, and the church just exploded. In our culture, we had a, a, a revival back in the 60s and 70s into the 80s. Churches were exploding at that time. They're, they're not doing that right now, necessarily. Growing, but not exploding like they were back then. Um, and, and, you know, we might wonder, but, but look what was going on in the church. Again, there was edification that was taking place. They truly were walking in the fear of the Lord, and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know, and we, we see the incredible gro growth that took place 
But there's no revival now, but why not? Why, why isn't the church exploding now? I mean, now the church is being added to, but it's not multiplying like it says there in verse 31. Why? And we can say, well, it's just not a revival time right now. The next question we have to ask is, why not? Why not? Now we know that revival is the Lord's work. And we can just say, well, he's just not doing that work right now. Why? That's, that's his call, not mine. But we have to honestly ask ourselves the question, are we ready to be used by God? in revival? Have we been revived? Have our own hearts experienced revival? Do we have a, a new, fresh love for Jesus Christ? Is he working freshly in our lives? Like earlier, I was talking about, you know, the, 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 a big day. Do we look forward to Sundays? Is it, a, is, is it the big day in our week? Is it? Because we get together, we, we get to, we, we have the, the privilege of gathering together as God's people to worship Him, the one and true living God. And He stooped down to bring us to a place where he, he would show us what our needs are. He would show us who He is. He would save us from our sins, bring us together as a family and to, to worship this God who is so great and majestic and so powerful, so awe-inspiring, and yet we can take it for granted that we belong to Him. God, help us. Might we have that? Might we be ready to be used by him? Might we be ready? I already quoted from Peter, you know, writing in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give a defense. But before we get the opportunity to give a defense, we've got to be ready to live the life that would bring questions to people's minds. How can you be this way? How can you have peace? How can you have hope when everything around you is falling apart in your life? I can say it in a word. Jesus. Jesus. That's how. And we can give some details, of course. But might we be ready? We leave off with Paul now. We're going to be switching over to Peter in the following verses and, and how the Lord used Peter. We'll, we'll get back to to Saul of Tarsus a little bit later, as I, as I shared a moment ago. But as we look at Paul in the beginning of his ministry and his focus, obviously, he spent this time going to, to Arabia. He wanted to focus on what was true. He didn't allow his predisposed thoughts, everything that he had learned in Judaism, the way that he was taught through the books of Moses and the prophets and, and, and the poetic writings and the history books. He, he didn't count on that. Gamaliel was the greatest teacher of his day, but he was Jewish. He had not seen that the Messiah had returned, but he had. What did Gamaliel know in regard to that particular truth? 
nothing. He had to spend his time with Christ. Guys, I encourage you, encourage you, spend your time with the Lord reading the Word of God, asking him to show you who he is, asking him to show you what your needs are personally in terms of spiritual growth. And be willing to change, be willing to change your mind, be willing to change the thought processes to be more and more consistent with this. Rather than the way we can, we can be as human beings, I just don't agree with that. I believe everybody here in this room wants to agree with the word of God might we bow before it, before him every single day. Amen? And let's pray for revival. Here first in our own hearts. Let's see what God's going to do. Father, we pray that you'd have your way. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. We need you so desperately. We need you so desperately. Oh, yeah, we're, we're saved and we're right with you. Lord, if there's anyone here for whom that is enough, I pray that you will just begin to make them understand that it's not. Bring a discomfort with that. Bring a restlessness with that. Lord, might we not settle for less than what you have for us? And so, God, I pray for your church throughout the world, especially in America. And here in California, what an uphill battle we are facing. Yet, Lord, there's nothing too powerful for you, nothing too great for you. Lord, if you would deem it to be so, even California can become a haven for biblical morality and biblical truth. God, use us, we pray. Have your way with us. So we say in our hearts, God, as we sit, as we stand before you now, Lord, we just make ourselves available. We want to do what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, placing ourselves on that altar as a living sacrifice. Lord, that you might use us the way that you want to use us. So God, be glorified in us, be honored in us. Let the name of Jesus be magnified as people are just simply watching us live our lives. We give ourselves to you now and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.